he taught, and uh, did an amazing job. And uh, we were not here last Wednesday night. We were at district conference, but uh, I was able to go back and watch it on a podcast, and uh, Nathan just did a wonderful job, and I appreciate it. I want to actually promote both of his Bible studies uh, in the direction I feel to go uh, with Grace Church uh, as the Lord leads in the next several Wednesday nights. His presentation for the past two Wednesday nights would be very advantageous uh, for you to either listen to or watch whatever is best for you. Uh, He took you on a very uh, specific, a very intentional step-by-step journey process on how to develop your gifting and uh, your to develop your gifting and purpose and what have you and uh, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that material or watch it and I'll get you a notepad and I'll write things down that be uh, profitable for you to remember and to put into practice Um, I will applaud Nate for that Uh, he didn't teach something that he doesn't do uh, he lives out those things himself, and I applaud him for that. And uh, so if you have an opportunity, go back and uh, either listen or watch uh, his presentation for the past two Wednesday nights. And uh, also tonight, you see the home Bible study chart up here. Somebody asked me, was I teaching a home Bible study tonight? Uh, I have done that uh, on Wednesday nights. We'll go through either all of that or some of it. And uh, when we first moved to this building... Uh, nine years ago, eight years ago, when we bought it, I taught a Sunday school class, uh, but it was this material, and I taught it for a number of months. But to answer that question, no, I'm not teaching that tonight. I'm here to keep it in front of you to remind you to teach it. I find far more people want to go through it than want to teach it, and uh, we need teachers. And uh, Grace Church has ample people with enough Bible knowledge and enough personality and ability to teach. There's no reason why we couldn't have 10, 15 home Bible studies going on at one time at Grace Church. And uh, if you would like to have a home Bible study, there's four gentlemen that sit up here nearly every Sunday. I call them my ministry team, and all four of them are incredibly qualified to teach home Bible studies. So if you would like to have one, don't ask me to teach it. Go ask one of them to teach it. If they say no, then come talk to me about it. And then I'll talk to them about it. And then hopefully they'll go ahead and teach you that Bible study. So all I'm saying to my ministry team, if somebody approaches you for a you're just going to go ahead and say yes. It just saves some process, y'all understand. So, uh, But anyway, uh, we're going to have this out here as long as the Lord is dealing with me about it. He has really cranked down on me last week at District Conference. My whole message this past Sunday was the inspiration from District Conference. And uh, it's time. Uh, Brother Nate talked about that last, last Wednesday night, talking about the understanding the capacity that you have in your life to work for God. And I think there's a lot of us that have time to do this. We like the priority. And uh, so we're going to leave this out here. And I'm not going to furnish you a Bible study chart and the teacher's manual. I want you to buy your own. If you put money into it, you'll be more apt to do it. I thought that was a pretty good point. But um, anyway, 
So uh, we'll have that out here. So when you see this, it doesn't mean I'm going to teach it. And uh, I'm doing about one and a half Bible studies a week right now anyway. And, uh, but uh, I want you to do it. I want you to teach it. This isn't up here for you to go through it. This is up here to remind you to get you a chart and teach it. All of you Bible scholars we have sitting out here like to sit around and talk about Scripture all the time. Find somebody that's really, that it would really benefit uh, and teach them a home Bible study. So when you see this setting out here in the next coming services, you'll know what that means, whether it's referenced or not. It is setting there to remind you to get you a home Bible study chart and find someone to teach. We have folks here at Grace Church that if you fellowship with them a little bit, befriend them a little bit, win their confidence, they would love to have you teach them a home Bible study. So uh, get up and get with it. I'm going to ask you all to stand tonight. I have another announcement I want to make, and then we're going to pray uh, about that. And as while we're praying, uh, I would like for us to continue to remember Brother Phil. He is continuing to make progress, and I'm uh, thankful for that. I'd like for us to remember Craig Page and uh, had major, major surgery on his leg and uh, is recovering, but let's keep praying for him. And also Sherry Bunch had surgery yesterday and is back at home. Uh, I'm rather amazed by that, but she's home now and doing well. But let's pray that God keeps his hand on her. The other thing that I want to mention is uh, for about the past, it's been discussed for a number of years, but it's, it's gotten very serious discussion in about the past year. But the state of Louisiana with the United Pentecostal Church, the state of Louisiana, the Louisiana district, currently is divided up into 12 sections. We are section two. Our section essentially goes from Jackson, Clinton, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, and all the way from Irwinville to a little ways past Albany down I-12. And uh, so it's huge. It, it takes two to three hours to crisscross it, uh, especially north to south. And, of course, going north to south, there's not a good route to take. So it's been discussed for a number of years, and, and but they've gotten serious about it in about the past year. And uh, they are uh, voted at this past district conference, the, 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 the district did, to divide Section 2 into two parts, and now we'll have a Section 13. As it is right now, we're having a meeting coming up uh, with the Section 2 pastors, we were okay with dividing it. The problem is where. And uh, some folks want to be in one section. Other folks don't want to be in another section, that kind of thing. And we understand all those demographics. I would like for us to pray tonight for all of our brethren, all of our churches in Section 2, that no matter what happens, that we can stay unified, stay in harmony, uh, that people will uh, be mature and wise, God would direct our district leadership. Uh, there's a meeting coming up. I believe it's April the 14th. Um, and uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing and his will to be done in this matter. So let's remember the request I mentioned plus this. Let's pray together right now. Father, we love you tonight. We come to you in Jesus' name. And we know that you care about every facet of our lives. And you certainly care about your church. And I pray tonight in Jesus' name that you would direct our leadership with our district, with our section. I pray for our brethren, our pastors, our churches, that everything would be done decently in order that we could maintain a spirit of unity, spirit of love for one another, and that the kingdom would go on. I pray tonight for the needs that we've mentioned, the names we call for Phil and Craig 
and Sherry. I pray, God, that you administer to these folks. Pray that you'd bless them and let the hand of God be made man manifest in their lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated, and thank you uh, so very much for standing. Uh, I did have a, a great time uh, here this past Sunday, and I'm always thankful to the Lord for his blessing and uh, for his moving in our lives like he does. I'm thankful that God's hand is on Grace Church, and I'm confident that Grace Church will continue to grow and it will become uh, everything that it needs to be. And uh, in saying that, I'm, I want to welcome tonight PJ and Jennifer. They were here Sunday morning and uh, uh, had a wonderful, wonderful God moment. Both of them did. And it's great to see them here tonight. Welcome to Grace Church. We're glad y'all are here. Let's give them some welcome and appreciation here tonight. Thank the Lord. Praise God. <clears throat> I want to read tonight from Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 18. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, specifically Simon Peter, he said, I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to speak to you tonight for a few minutes about our purpose as a church. This past Sunday, I preached to you celebrating the why and uh, trying to have us understand why we're here. And uh, I still would like for everyone to go to heaven with me uh, when that time comes. I'd like for all of us to make it to that golden city. So in keeping with that message and this nudge, strong nudge I have felt from the Spirit of the Lord, I want to teach to you tonight for a little while our purpose as a church, the, this is the first distinct mention in Matthew chapter 16. This is the first distinct mention of the church found in the New Testament. And it was given by Jesus, who is the builder of the church. And I will make it clear here tonight. We do not build the church on our own. We simply cooperate with Jesus, who is the master builder. The word church is used some 140 times in the New Testament, and not once does it refer to a material building. The word church is used some 140 times in the New Testament, and not once does it ever refer to a material building. The language used of the church could not be applied to a church building. When you read in the New Testament where the word church is used, you'll find that applying those words to a church building would not work. For example, the Bible said in the book of Acts, and the Lord added to the church daily. That's not an addition onto the temple. Does everybody understand that? <clears throat> Uh, the Bible said that in, in Acts that Herod vexed the church. He didn't throw st stones and, and eggs at the church building. Uh, the church was persecuted. Paul saluted the church. The churches had rest, the Bible said. Only 
and the traditions of men can people go to church. That terminology is not used in the Scripture. To continue that line of thought, denominationalism is contrary to Scripture and evidence of carnality and division. Denominations are usually formed around a form of church government or a doctrinal emphasis or some degree or level of Bible truth, a personality that God used in some revival or some experience in the past. Most denominations came from those different venues. The tragedy is that each revival of truth that happened post-New Testament finds its most bitter enemies in the previous group that at one time had light from heaven but stopped the development and the revelatory uh, significance of that light somewhere along the way. Let me say this to you. History repeats itself in each generation. In every generation, history repeats itself. The only thing we learn from history is that we never learn from history. Everybody say amen. So as a church, as Grace Church, we must constantly guard against the degenerating cycle of message, man, movement, and then monument. That's a cycle that's been going on for years, and we must guard against that. You'll notice that Jesus does not say he will build his churches upon a rock. The word there is singular. He will build his church, and I am happy to say tonight that there is only one church, and the message of that church has never changed. Amen. I will also submit to you tonight that the church was not merely instituted after the Jewish rejection of Christ. I'd like to make it very clear. When Jesus was born and went to the cross and what have you, He didn't start the church because the Jews didn't accept Him and receive Him as their Messiah. That's not how it was planned. The church was not merely instituted after the Jewish rejection of Christ, but rather was prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament. Through the church in Genesis 22, all nations were to be blessed by the seed of Abraham. The New Testament teaches that very clearly. All the families of the earth were to be blessed by Abraham's seed, according to Genesis 26. All kindreds of the nations would worship the Lord. In Psalm 22, that would happen through the conduit of the establishment of the church. In the last days, all nations would flow to the house of God. In Isaiah chapter 2, that's the church. The Gentiles would seek the root of Jesse. In Isaiah chapter 11, that's the church. Many nations would be sprinkled with the blood of the Messiah. In Isaiah 52, that's talking about the church. Many nations would be joined to the Lord in that day. In Zechariah chapter 2, it's talking about the church. The name of the Lord would be great among the Gentiles. That's talking about the New Testament church. In His name, the Gentiles would trust, Matthew 12 says. Uh, that's talking about the church. So I want you to understand tonight that the kingdom of God is much larger than the church, 
because it includes more than the church. The kingdom of God includes the universe and all the angelic host and all of the Old Testament saints. However, the New Testament church is the centerpiece of God's kingdom and its most important part. If you live between the day of Pentecost and the rapture, which I believe is imminent, you must be in the church if you're going to be saved. Jesus even said that the prophets who gave these prophecies and even the angels would love to be able to participate in the things happening in the church, through the church, in our current age. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Peter said in his epistle, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us as they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Moses would have loved to have seen the royal priesthood according to 1 Peter chapter 2. Isaiah would have loved to have seen a Pentecost. Joel would have loved to have been in the upper room. So all of these people knew by the Spirit of the Lord pounding in their chest that God's plan was not going to stop with the Old Testament order, specifically the dispensation of the law of Moses, that there was something greater coming, and they even prophesied things coming that were after Christ that was going to be as great as what He did. So we have to understand our purpose as a church is not just Grace Church here in Central. We're not the only ones doing what I'm doing right now. All up through the central time zone, north and south, there's men standing in pulpits just like this one that is challenging their people just like I'm doing. And all of that is God's church. Where God created everything else, the church cost Him dearly. I hope we understand tonight where God spoke the world into existence. He spoke the cattle and the the sky and the seas and all of that. He spoke that into existence. The church cost him dearly. We are privileged beyond measure to be a part of the church of the living God. It is a privilege to be in the church. The Bible said in Acts chapter 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. We know that there's times coming to this planet that's not going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be fun. It's it's dreaded. It's dreaded. For those of you that know prophecy, there's a time that's coming that's going to be dreaded uh, when that day comes to this planet. The church is the only thing that God has established that cannot be shaken. Individual saints and local assemblies may have problems, but God's church as a whole is as solid as the rock of revelation that it's built upon. 
The Bible said that the earth is to be shaken, the nation of Israel is to be shaken, the heavens and the nations will be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, according to Hebrews chapter 12, but the church cannot be shaken. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it, because Jesus is the builder of this church. In the Amplified Version of the text that I read tonight, Jesus said, according to the Amplified Bible, And I tell you, you are Peter, a large piece of rock. And on this rock, a huge rock like Gibraltar, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. The powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment detriment, or hold out against it. The Amplified Version went on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, that is, declared to be improper and unlawful on earth, must already be bound or unlawful in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, declare lawful, must be already loosed in heaven. So you'll notice two principles in this passage tonight. First, the church is built on a message and not a man. Men come and go. Men succeed and fail. But the true revelation of Christ is the foundation of the church. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The second thing we notice is we must build the church according to God's blueprint if we want to have His blessing. The words bind and loose in our scripture text are perfect passive participles in the Greek language, indicating things that have already been forbidden or permitted. You just can't do, we just can't do what we want to do and expect God to bless it. We must do what He wants, and when we do what He wants through the conduit of obedience, blessing comes automatically. Wish everybody could understand that point. If we could just obey what the Word of God teaches, bless you. You don't have to ask God to bless you. He will automatically because you obeyed. Everybody say amen. So if a contractor builds a house for someone, he sticks to the blueprint, which is the will of the purchaser. If we want to build a church, we need to stick to the blueprint, Bible, which is the will of the purchaser, which is God. Otherwise, we're not really building a church. So we need to understand God's blueprint for building His church, which is our purpose for being here tonight. So with that little introduction in mind, that little bit of groundwork in mind, I'd like to submit to you tonight quickly three principles that is our obligation if we are going to understand our purpose as a church. And I want to again thank... Uh, our, our, our in-house ministers especially, because when they teach and preach, whether it's Jason and Next or it's Nathan over here, uh, whoever it's been this year, a lot of what they said, the vast majority of what they said, have culminated into this presentation tonight. So prelude to what I preached to you this past Sunday. So the first principle I want to share with you tonight is first thing we have to do is do and teach. Everybody say do and teach. Now, we have some that do, and we have some that teach. I want to get those two things together. 
I want our teachers to do what God has called them to do, and I want our doers to start teaching what God has given them to teach. I want there to be a marriage between this do and teach. When Luke wrote the book of Acts, in the very first verse, he addressed that book to a man named Theophilus. No one seems to know who that is. But he referred to the book of Luke in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He said, The former treaties have I made, that's the book of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Jesus was a doer, and he was also a teacher. This works in perfect harmony with this principle that I'm introducing to you right now. You get one of these not to store in your house. That's not the point of this. It's not for you to gaze at once in a while or move it out behind the door when you're sweeping behind the door. It's not to be able to tell everybody that you have a home Bible study chart. That's not the point of this. It's applaudable that you were a doer to the point that you went and got one. But now you need to finish if you're going to present its true purpose. And if you're going to present its true purpose, you have to teach it to somebody. Do I need to rephrase any of that? Did anybody misunderstand what I'm trying to say? If you didn't understand that, I'll repeat it. And what's interesting to me is I'm approached often by people that say, Pastor, can you teach a home Bible study? Can you come teach me a home Bible study? And to a lot of people, I say, no. If you want to know, if you want to have a good Bible study, go get you a teacher's manual and start teaching it yourself, and it will light you up. We have one of our parents here at Grace Church that is teaching this to their children. They'll set one night aside on a month, one night a month aside, and they're going through this material with their children. And it's not playtime, it's Bible study time. Why don't you parents consider that, to have someone to practice on? Your kids are forgiving. Well, some of them, sometimes. But why don't you consider that? Take your family through a Bible study first. I would suggest that to Sister Murphy, but she's only been through one about 428 times uh, since we've been in ministry. And every time I teach one, she'll go through it again and again and again. I don't know how many times Sister Murphy's been through this Bible study. But I want to encourage somebody to do and teach. Jesus ministry, listen to pastor tonight, was all about doing and teaching. And it doesn't make any difference to me how great of a teacher you are. If you're not impacting the lives of people with the word of God, it's not doing you one ounce of good. And if you're doing a whole lot of things for the kingdom, but you're not teaching anybody anything, then that's not doing you a whole lot of good either. So you have to do and teach. When the Bible talks about Jesus being about doing and teaching, and Luke did, the one refers to his miracle-working power, while the other refers to his doctrine or his core beliefs. Jesus did not work miracles just for miracles' sake, but he used 
the miracles to teach his doctrine. When he healed the blind man, immediately upon healing the blind man, he began to teach when everybody got done dancing and shouting and all that kind of stuff. He taught them that I am the light of the world. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the story doesn't end there. He went ahead and taught them that I am the bread of life. He was a doer and a teacher. But he also did not teach just for the sake of teaching. The Bible said he taught them as one having authority. I want you to notice that. In other words, you priests can sit over there in that corner and y'all can debate and fuss and cuss all you want to about what you think you know and all that kind of stuff. When Jesus walked in on the scene, he had that ability to kind of clear his throat. And and when he would teach, they listened. At 12 years old, he astounded them with his teaching, even as a child. So doing, doing without teaching is wrong. That's why I encourage all of our uh, small group leaders, you have to incorporate some element of the Bible into what you're doing. We don't want to just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff. We have to understand the why, right? I'll ask that question again. I didn't think the answer was real hard. We have to understand the why, right? Okay. So that's why we incorporate the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of God in everything we do. It is wrong to have spirit without truth. When you have spirit without truth, that leads to apostasy. It is obedience to doctrine that saves us, not just a move of the Spirit. It's not your feeling, but obedience that determines you to be a Christian or not. It's not a feeling. It's your obedience. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continuing them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So doing without teaching is wrong. But in addition to that, teaching without doing is wrong. It's kind of the spirit of the Pharisee. Don't do as I say, just don't do as I do, just do as I say do. So teaching without doing is also wrong. It is wrong to have truth without spirit because it leads to apathy. It's what happens to lots of Pentecostals that I know. They boast about having the truth, but their fire, their anointing, their authority, their ability, their empowerment dies and it it, it gets lukewarm and cold and it goes away and it leads to apathy. God holds us responsible for what we do with what we know. God holds us responsible for what we do with what we know. And when you talk about church growth, talking doesn't bring church growth. Church growth is actually spelled with four letters. W-O-R-K. James said in his epistles, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Grace Church must both do and teach 
if we want to be best blessed by God. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we're going to get that light bulb fixed before this coming Sunday. Or I'll bring my gun. And I'll, there it is. There's a culprit. Uh, somebody remember where that's at. We had a youth service here when we were renting the building. I told Brother Billy Thornton this story. He didn't like it too much because of what he had had to do. I'll never forget it. But the preacher was preaching, and he was getting down on it, man, just getting down on it. And the, there's young people here and what have you. And out from under the old pulpit that was here when we were renting the building, he pulled out a gun. If I'm not mistaken, it was a 357 and fired it into the ceiling. It had a blank bullet in it. But, buddy, everybody in this house was partially raptured. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, buddy, there's more shoulder shrugging and heads. and It's that quick, you know, whatever. And uh, unless we've changed a tile up there, there's a tile up there that still has that, that packing from that blank told Brother Billy that story, and he said, well, if I'd have been here that night, I'd had to arrest him. I was just illegal to charge a, discharge a firearm in a setting like this or whatever. And knowing that preacher couldn't happen to a finer guy. And for him to walk out of you, you just have to know the preacher. And uh, we'd have helped him out if that had happened the best we could. But anyway, we have to do and teach. Anybody feeling that with me tonight? Just two, two people? Anybody feeling that? Okay. We're going to keep working at it. We're going to get some folks teaching Bible study in this church. Whatever it takes. The second principle that I want to introduce you tonight is witness and wait. Sounds kind of weird, but hear me out. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, It is not for you to know the times... Or the seasons, remember those two words, times or seasons, which the Father has put in His own power. But you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, etc. God has two words in the Bible for time. One is chronos, which means time governed by the clock. That's the time that we generally live in. It's quantity time. Time governed by the clock. It's quantity time. And then there's keros, which means time measured by special moments. Time measured by special moments. And that's quality time. So you have quantity time in chronos. You have quality time in keros. The key is you have to take advantage of keros time at the moment it happens. If you don't, you lose it forever. I remember Brother Weiser was preaching here uh, several years ago, and he told the story about he's, he's an avid reader. He's a very intelligent man. And he was flying somewhere, went to the airport, and was sitting waiting for his air, air, airplane to come in. And he got so absorbed reading that book that he realized that his plane landed. It unloaded. They called for all the rows. He didn't hear a thing. The plane loaded up and left. And then he just suddenly popped his head up and went to the agent behind the desk and said, where's my plane? They said, sir, it just took off. 
Well, he realized that he missed a moment that he would never have again. And I think if all of us think back, we have had moments with our kids, for example. You'll never have that again. You'll never have that special Christmas morning when they were four years old and saw their Christmas present and their eyes sparkled and smiled. That moment is gone forever. And if you miss it, you can never recapture it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 to the nation of Israel, And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because you knew not the time of your visitation. They didn't see it. And it came and went. In Acts 24, when Paul was standing before Felix, the Bible says, He reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled. And he told Paul, Go thy way for this time. And when I have a convenient season, or a convenient time, I will call for thee. As far as we know, that time never came. In Ephesians chapter 5, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Paul said to the church in Galatia, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. I've said it many times to many people through the years. You are having a God moment right now. Take advantage of this moment. I've preached it. I've said it in the altars. There's people here tonight. I could walk back and tap you on the shoulder and say, you're living in a God moment right now. God orchestrated a whole lot of things in your life to bring you to this moment, to bring you to this point. And if you don't seize this moment, it doesn't mean that God can't create another moment for you, and oftentimes He does. There's always plan B and C and D and all that with God. But if people could understand the moment you're living in, regardless of circumstances, Brother Nate touched on that last Wednesday night, it doesn't matter what's going on in life. If God steps into your life, you seize that moment and go with it. When the disciples asked Jesus when He was going to restore the kingdom, the earthly kingdom of God on this earth, He told them, that it's not for them to distinguish between times, which we just read the verse, chronos, and the seasons, which is karyos, because only God controls times of supernatural visitation. So listen, only God has power, which equals authority, over the results of our prayer, our worship, and our work. But God has given us a power, which is dunamis, which is in the book of Acts chapter 2, which means ability. God's power is authority. Our power is ability. And we get all that mixed up. We want the power of God. So when we lay hands on the sick, and we lay hands on the crippled and the blind and the dead and all that, that they just come back like God, like Jesus did in the New Testament. That's not the power that the book of Acts is talking about. God gives, God possesses authority. He retains that authority and he gives it out as he feels to, as his will dictates. But when you receive the Holy Ghost, you don't always get God's authority, but God always gives you his ability. And that's why Jesus prepared the Jews for the Holy Ghost 
advent that day in Acts chapter 2. He prepared them for that moment because he said you'll be endued with power. And he would teach them all the time, but with God all things are possible. And with God, with man things are impossible. With God nothing shall be impossible and all that kind of stuff. He prepared them for that. That I'm going to have authority over my church. I'm going to have authority over everything that goes on in this universe. But when I come into your life, I'm going to give you the ability to do whatever it is that I'm asking you to do. That nobody will ever be able to come and tell me that I didn't have the ability to do that, God. So when Jesus gave the, the, great, the command of the Great Commission, He didn't leave me out. And I don't think He left anybody else here out either. So for all these people to say, I'm so shy and, you know, I, I can't teach and all that kind of stuff. How did you get married? Teaching a Bible study men is easier than asking a woman to marry you. Teaching a Bible study is easier than kissing a woman for the first time. Brother Treadway said one time, it's almost impossible to climb a fence when it's leaning toward you. And it's almost impossible to kiss a woman when she's leaning away from you. Has anybody ever had that experience? Men, anybody want to admit it? That you went to kiss her and she did that? And she does that and you just can't get them lips out there far enough. They just don't go. It's not like lizard, you know, just that tongue. You're... <laughs> It's easier to teach a Bible study than it is to learn how to drive a car. It's easier to teach a home Bible study than it is to buy your first house. It's easier to teach a home Bible study than it is to raise kids. Don't tell me you can't teach a Bible study. And there's people here tonight that has more kids than you know what to do with. <laughs> folks here tonight, I don't think they ever figured out how them kids got here, actually. Not going there. But this is easy. It's easy. And I'll give, you, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Your first Bible study lesson is a little nerve-wracking. I was terrified. One of the first Bible study lessons I taught was to my uncle, who was A, a family member that I adored and respected. B, he was a Baptist minister. So I decided when I was going to teach a Bible study, I'm going big, man. Let me find a preacher somewhere that knows the Bible better than I do. And I learned some stuff, and I learned it the hard way, and I was left embarrassed and ashamed because I didn't know everything I was supposed to know. But I also remember sitting in his living room, and he would rub his arms and say, I feel chills running all over me. What is that? God don't give you knowledge. You have to go get that yourself. But he will give you the ability. Everybody shake your head up and down right now. I'm not going to get a Pentecostal amen, so I'll settle for a Baptist nod. So is that, is that okay? I don't usually call religion from the pulpit. I don't know why I'm doing it tonight. My apologies if that offended anybody. <clears throat> the key to revival and harvest is for the church to exercise its ability until God exercises his authority. Facebook that, baby. The key to revival and harvest is for the church to exercise its ability, Brother Wheeler, until God exercises 
his authority. So we must witness and wait. I have seven minutes. Principle number three, rise above and go beyond. Acts chapter one. We have to understand when Jesus was crucified, and rightfully so, the crucifixion is a centerpiece of the Bible. Without the crucifixion and the resurrection, it's <laughs> this book is of no value. But something else happened during that time that you don't hear very much about. Those disciples that Jesus called, and he called all of them personally, and they followed him for three and a half years. They were a very close-knit group. One of them committed suicide during this process of the crucifixion. So the disciples were left with two things to negotiate. Number one is to get their head around the death of Jesus, and then three days later get their head around the fact that he was alive again. But they also had to deal with the death of Judas Iscariot. And it set them back. As a matter of fact, a good portion of Acts chapter 1 is them dealing with that. They elected another man to take the place of Judas Iscariot. And I don't believe these folks, these disciples were having a picnic during that time. I believe they were devastated. As much as one of our brethren committing suicide would devastate us. But you, you don't see the disciples giving up or even really getting discouraged. They resolutely rose above their heartache and they moved beyond a terrible trial to embrace their future with God. They rose above their heartache. Listen to Pastor tonight. With God, with God, with God, failure is never fatal with God. It is with us, but it's not with God. With God, failure is never fatal. God never wastes or hurt. God doesn't waste offenses. So for all the things that you lump together that's happened to all of us as individual people. I know in my own life personally, and I'll speak for me since I know me. I've used my hurts and I've used my disappointments to propel me forward. I learned that when I was 16 years old when my dad died. The best thing I could do is learn from that and move on, and I did. And I'm still doing that. I learned that lesson, and I've never forgotten it. People that get offended... They get hurt. Tragedy strikes their life and they quit serving God. That's a mistake. You're treating that as fatal. God doesn't do that. God won't waste that moment in your life, no matter how tragic or ununderstandable it is. God will take the pieces of your life and build something with it and later on build something else on it. So with God, failure is never fatal. God never wastes a hurt. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is found in Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. 
When I fall, I shall arise. So I want to encourage everyone here tonight. Everybody has a reputation. Mark Wheeler did a great job Sunday morning with Celebrate. Great job. Never thought of the what he presented in that context, that Jesus gave up his reputation as God and came to this planet as just a man with no reputation, and he built one. Well, all of us have reputations. Have you ever wondered about Mary Magdalene in the Bible? She played such a significant role in the ministry of Christ, but every time you read her name, it's followed by out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. It's like somebody had to remind everybody of that. Whenever her name was spoken, yeah, that's the person that did da-da-da-da-da, and out of her, Jesus cast seven devils. Never could let her, she, her, her peer group would not set her free from her own past. And Pentecostals do the same thing. I suppose people in every denomination does. I don't say Pentecostal because that's what I know. We do the same thing. Oh, yeah, that, that's so-and-so, man. You, you, if you just read, do you remember what they did, you know, 400 years ago? And, uh, you know, how horrible they were and how they did this and how they did that. We don't forget, and we like to hold that somehow over people's head. And we may not bring it up often, and we not, may not bring it up at all until there's a moment we need leverage for something. And then we'll step on someone else to get where we need to go. And we'll remind somebody that, you know, well, yeah, I did something horrible. But it wasn't nearly as horrible as somebody else did. And I'm sure Mary Magdalene was the brunt of that more often than she cared to be. I've often wondered how many people, the disciples talked about how horrible they were. And the other ones say, well, they weren't nearly as bad as that Mary lady. You remember, she was a harlot and all that kind of stuff is what history says. And a woman of ill repute and... Man, Jesus, she was devil-possessed. She was a horrible, horrible. So that, that was their go-to person. If you really wanted to drag the pit of whatever and, and, and kind of make yourself look good. And it's interesting to me that a woman like that, much like the harlot in Jericho in the book of Joshua, kind of the Old Testament Mary Magdalene, if you will, was used as an integral part. As a matter of fact, that harlot in Jericho is mentioned in the New Testament in Jesus' genealogy. God doesn't treat failure as fatal. And if you look at all the sins of our society and how we like to categorize and judge people and all that kind of stuff, Paul was a murderer how many times over? So was Moses, so was David. David was an adulterer for crying out loud, but God took these people and used them mightily because God does not consider failure as fatal. So it doesn't matter what kind of person you were. You're not that kind of person now. So get online when you get home and get you one of these and start teaching somebody. We need to do and teach, folks. And you may not get results in your first Bible study, so you witness and wait. And sooner or later, you'll teach somebody, as Mark Wheeler did the other night about baptism, and they'll say, hey, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And, and, you, and you do that, and you have to consider that you know, failure, and because you failed, isn't the end of your spirituality. So somebody step out, move forward, and say, I'm going to be a 
doer and a teacher. If you have one of these and have not used it, if you're not going to use it, would you donate it to somebody who is? Or start using it. That'd be pretty cool right there, wouldn't it? To start just using it yourself. Let me make one, say one more thing and I'm, I'm done. This is what happens when you teach a home Bible study. Don't do, don't do it here at the church. The church isn't available for you to teach your home Bible study at. Bring the folks to your house if possible. This is why. When you're teaching them, you're impacting them, you're helping them, you're ministering them and so on. But you're filling up your house with the word of God. And your kids hear it and the dog hears it and the cat hears it and the parakeet hears it and the snake hears it and God only knows what you people have in your homes. I don't even want to know. But all that stuff hears it. It hears it. The internet hears it. (laughs) It's waves going into the air and it conflicts with the junk on the internet and Facebook hears it and social media hears it. Wouldn't it be a breath of fresh air to teach somebody an hour-long Bible study instead of sitting at the computer doing an hour of Facebook? If you can do Facebook, you can do a Bible study. If you can do Instagram, you can do a Bible study. If you can drive a car, you can do a Bible study. If you can read a recipe and cook something, you can teach a Bible study. Am I getting through to anybody here tonight? There's no excuse. God has given you the ability with the power of the Holy Ghost. So teach it in your home if you can. I taught about three Bible studies to somebody and went to their house. And I said, look, just trying to be the nice guy that I am, right? I said, we can alternate times. Y'all come to our house one night, and we'll go to your house and just go back and forth because they live a little bit of ways away. Came to our house one time. It's been our house ever since. I can't get it back at their house. We like coming to your house. We want to hear it at your house. We want to do it at your house. And all I do is serve them coffee. No food, no dinner, no pies, store-bought cookies. That's the one exception I make for store-bought desserts is eat two cookies before a Bible study or after and go home. It's not a social setting. It's not a social visit. You're there to teach the Word of God. Teach it and go home. We'll get to that later. We want you to start teaching first. Well, let's take this one step at a time, right? So teach you Bible study at your house if possible. But if not, go to their house and do it. Make yourself at home. Bring what you need. If you don't have it, ask for it. I set my chart, depending. I have these, this little easel. But sometimes, depending on where I'm at, I might have to set it like that if I don't have a place for my easel. Well, if you just set that on a table, it won't stand up. So what do you do? You ask the sweet lady of the house, do you have a dish rag? You spread it out on that table and then set your Bible study chart on top of that and it won't slide no more. Genius. You learn stuff. See, you learn stuff other than Bible study. You learn how to hold up a chart. So you folks, pray about it. Seek God about it. I'm serious. It's time, not just chronos time, but it's karyos time to start teaching Bible study. There's some ripeness going on in our area, and there's some folks who would benefit greatly. Some people will be baptized, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, etc. if you'll teach them a Bible study. Go get you one and get down on it. And don't teach everything in the lesson. You take all that material and you tailor it for the person you're teaching, and you run for about 35, 40 minutes, and that's it. Don't feel like you have to teach everything. If they're really brilliant, take all the kind of real smart stuff. If they're kind of dumb, 
just saying, teach the easy stuff. Be smart when you teach a home Bible study. If they don't know the books of the Bible, don't embarrass them every time by asking them to read out of Habakkuk chapter 2 because they can't find it. You read it until they get a feel for the Bible, and then we'll get to all that later. Anyway, get your Bible study chart and get with it. Everybody stand up. I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. We're having a great time at Grace Church. This coming Sunday is Easter, and uh, we have Sunday school at 10, and our Easter presentation will be at 11. Everybody come out, bring somebody with you. Y'all all dress pretty and look nice. Boo, if you want to see something nice Sunday, you Easter duds for Sunday, the, the red pants and the pink shirt and what have you, and uh, we'll look forward to that. So God bless you guys. Shake friends and be handy. Great seeing you tonight. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. You're dismissed.